come with me into the tormented, haunted, half-lit night of the insane. This is my work. Let me lead you into it. Let me take you into the mind of a woman who is mad. Hi, and welcome to Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, a good ghoul's guide to horror. I am your polter guide, Kinsey. I'm your polter guide, Donna. I'm your polter guide, Adrian. And this week, we watch Edgar Wright's new film, Last Night in Soho. We're going to be in spoiler territory, I can tell you right now, super fast, gang, so just pause it and then come back to us. But let's go around. Did you like it? Did you not like it? I did like it. I'm not 100% convinced it's actually a horror movie, but I did like it. That's it. That's all I have to say. Yes. Uh. I also liked it. So one, we need to, what time is it? 8.44 a.m. By the way, happy Halloween, everybody. And we all three like it. So I just I just wanted to make note of that because then it means it's something special. Put a star on the calendar. I, I want to double down on what you just said, Kinsey. This movie is, is definitely something special. Uh, I know that sounded super sarcastic and it's not. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, like my... My answer to this question is more complicated than just yes. Yes. And part of the reason that it's more complicated is because I think that this movie is like from a storytelling Chekhov's gun standpoint, technically fucking perfect. Um, I have one major complaint that I think could fix the whole thing, but holy shit, this is so close to I think a perfect fucking movie. And that makes this one, one little complaint feel bigger. All right. Well, for those of you who don't know what it is about our good, good buddies at IMDb are going to tell you an aspiring fashion designer is mysteriously able to enter the 1960s where she encounters a dazzling wannabe singer. But the glamour is not all it appears to be, and the dreams of the past start to crack and splinter into something darker. Actually, I'm, I feel pretty good about that one, IMDb. That one's not bad. They came with it, so I'm okay with it. All right, so I guess let's let's get into it. Hold quick plot summary. Oh, you got the plot summary? Then go for it. All right. So spoiler warning, obviously that that, that happens now. Um, so Ellie's a girl who loves the 60s. Um, she gets into the London College of Fashion and she is um, she doesn't fit in very well. So rather than stay in a dorm with possibly the worst roommate to ever exist since Buffy's demon roommate, she <laughs> rents a flat or a bedsit and i think i might be too american to understand what a bedsit is but it has a bathroom so hooray um her landlord is a little bit persnickety uh but the room is basically the exact same that it was in the 1960s so ellie is 100 on board for that uh as soon as she stays the night in the room she starts to have dreams about Sandy, a incredibly glamorous hot girl that lived there in the 60s. Um, Ellie kind of starts preferring the dreams to reality. She starts changing her style to single white female, this girl from the 60s. And um, 
then everything goes to shit. She starts being haunted by these amalgamin ghosts that look like, I mean, they're just nightmare fuel. That's it. Um, and so she starts trying to find it. She starts getting the feeling that something terrible happened to Sandy. She starts dreading going to sleep instead of welcoming it. And ultimately she decides that she needs to leave. So she gets her friend, John to agree to, uh, she doesn't get her friend, John, John is a super nice guy. John fucking offers to take her home. Um, and as she is trying to go home, she discovers that her landlord is actually Sandy. Sandy's not dead. Um, but the landlord and also that Sandy murdered these men who were brought to her by her pimp, Jack, after she was forced into sex work after she was trafficked, she was fucking trafficked and uh, they're all bought buried in the house. And so a big dramatic fight ensues. Uh, the house catches fire, um, but ultimately Sandy is able to appeal to no, not Sandy. <laughs> Ellie is ultimately able to appeal to Sandy's, uh, um, appeal to Sandy's what? Humanity? <laughs> humanity. The last bits of humanity left in Sandy. And uh, Sandy allows her to escape with a uh, very uh, sweet boy, John. And uh, Ellie goes on to success at school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, I'm missing some big plot points that we will undoubtedly talk about, but that is yeah. essentially what the movie is about. Yeah, I think, yeah, that is a good uh, a good summary. That is a good summary. Um, I want to so, start at the beginning. Oh, go yeah. ahead, Don. No, uh, I was, I was going to start at the beginning, too, where I was, I was a little confused because the previews had all made me think that um, I've, I've, I've immediately forgotten her name. Anna Tyler... Anna Taylor Joy, Sandy. Anna Taylor, Sandy uh, was the '60s girl, and then the opening was like, "Oh, the the mousy girl is the '60s girl." Yeah. And until she had on the beat the, headphones, I was like, oh, "Wait, I'm so confused. Is this some sort of anachronistic thing that I was because she, every everything you saw was '60s, 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 from the posters on her wall to the music we were playing," and it wasn't until she hit London that I was like, "Oh." Oh no, she's the modern girl. Okay, it was, I thought it was, they did such a good job with that opening. They did um, because then, as soon as you see her in those Beats headphones, it's like, oh no, they haven't actually done anything that doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. I think that is just—I mean, Edgar Wright is just fucking brilliant on some like this direction, and he, him, and James Gunn picking music for their films, like chef's kiss and i mm-hmm. think you know that opening and then you you transit transition into the mirror op- the mirror numbers of as she's going down in the club and you see sandy on one side ellie on the other like oh such a ama- such amazing cinematography in in this film and and just a just a weird note by the way of about music not so much this film sometimes they'll talk about 80s music and sometimes they'll talk about 60s music but the thing is there is this like dividing line right at about 64 65 and right at about 85 where like sick music in like 62 63 and music in like 67 68 that is not the same music 
and music at like 82, 83 and music at like 87, 88. That is not the same music. So when you talk about 60s music or 80s music, you really need to be talking about early 60s, early 80s versus late 60s, late 80s. So that's just a uh, not this movie, not but music in general. This was early 60s music. This was not 60s music. This was early 60s music. There. Uh, but the music was great. The music was just incredible. Downtown, I love that song. That's an amazing song. Downtown is a great song. Lyrically speaking, Downtown is the perfect fucking song for this movie. There is not a line out of place. It is just like, it is absolutely sandy's like 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 it's basically in a musical it's her i am song it's or i wish song it's her i wish song when she gets there Mm -hmm. and it is also exactly what happens to ellie because ellie gets there and she does meet john but like oh man there's so many tiny things in this movie that are so perfect um so i guess i'm going to preface before i jump into this part and say that um, I get really nervous when I realize that I am watching a movie about um, a the way that women are victimized by men that is directed by a man. Mm-hmm. And there was like very early on, I didn't get this from the trailer necessarily. Like I thought, oh, obviously, no. obviously this pretty 60s girl is going to get murdered horribly. Like I, I understand that, but I didn't realize that that was what the movie is fucking about and so very early on when ellie is in the cab and the cabbie is so fucking creepy but like side note just for anybody who's curious creepy in an incredibly normal everyday way like this scene has happened to me multiple times i fucking don't take cabs or ubers because of this Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was just um, an everyday moment. Yeah. What happened to Ellie in that cab? Exactly. But that's also whenever I started to get nervous about what was going to be in this movie, because that is not something that most male directors seem to be aware of, mm-hmm. that most men seem to be aware of as an everyday part of like living in the world and looking femme. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I got really nervous at that. But I think that they did such a good job of introducing John because we first see the cabbie. We see her just trying to fucking exist and walk down the street in a big city. And when we finally do meet John, he's actually being legitimately nice. But how the fuck would you be able to tell? Mm hmm. Yeah, and and with the experience she just had, of course she doesn't accept his help. Of course yeah. she doesn't. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, I mean exactly. Like they they put him against all of these other, and I would like to say shitty men, but unfortunately, the words I'm about to say is are they put him against all of these other average men, perfectly normal everyday men that are walking down the street that you are friends with right now, and so. When he's being legitimately nice, when he's being what I would like to call an average man, but it's not actually, then it is so easy to not be able to tell the difference. There is 
and we may have talked about this in the past. I don't know. I apologize if I've brought this up before. There is a really amazing essay. It's It's been out there for a few years now. There's a really amazing essay out there, the title of which is Schrodinger's Rapist. And the main concept behind Schrodinger's Rapist is that bad men look exactly like good men. And when you're just the chick out there, you can't just look at a guy and go, oh, that's a bad one. And that's a good one. That's, that's the, that's the, the, the boiled down essence of that essay is that you can't just look at a guy and know that this one's going to hurt me. And this one isn't is the bottom line. And I felt like this movie did a really nice job of getting that point. Like, you know, when she finally meets the vice cop and you know, he does not look, well, actually he does look different from the other ones, but in a way that doesn't stand out particularly in that moment. Well, and he's also a fucking D-bag. Mm-hmm. He is. He, he doesn't actually do anything to help her. Mm-hmm. He just like, he just put, kind of fucking insults her and sort of treats her like she, like this is her fault. Like, he's like, look in the mirror and she's like, what if I don't want to? And he's all, then it might already be too late for you. And listen, motherfucker, fuck you. Mm-hmm. Like, and do then, something. Yeah. Like, you are, you are literally a fucking cop in a board, like, in a house full of what I think is safe to assume to be trafficked fucking women. And you're just like, well, you better save yourself. Pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Like, what is she going to do? Walk out the door? We've already established that she can't do that. He's sitting here fucking ignoring the fact that if she leaves, and in fact, when she tries to leave, Jack hunts her the fuck down because he knows where she lives. Like, the only possible way for her to get out of the situation is to leave literally everything behind and then she has no money or anything or anything to sell or get money. Mm-hmm. Like he completely ignores the actual situation that any of these women are in. And then when he talks to Ellie, he she says she says something about how he used to be a ladies man. And he's like happy with that. Mm-hmm. And he's also like, I knew all the girls. I kept them in line. Fuck you. Yeah, let's let's okay. Like, can you have some righteous anger too? Oh, no, 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 no. I, okay, so the Terrence Stamp casting of the cop is fucking brilliant because you already don't trust Terrence Stamp. I don't care who you are. There's never been something like, oh, there's Terrence Stamp showing up. No, fuck that guy. (laughs) (laughs) That's General Zod. He's going to fuck shit up. And so, and then just everything that he says, it's so very much just you know well women put themselves in this situation so they can fucking figure it out like it's that mentality and oh does he fucking sell it so like perfectly Mm -hmm. you know and you're right he doesn't help he doesn't help sandy you know he doesn't help ellie you know he'd rather just be fucking vague so adrian said that they had one problem with this film. And I'm curious if it's the same problem that I had, because the one problem that I really have with this film is in fact, the vice cop, because 
there were some twists and there were some turns in this film. And most of them, I felt like they earned those twists with the vice cop with Lindsay. I did not feel like they earned that twist because they, they lied to us with that twist. Um, in fact, there was one shot when the old guy was walking away from us that I am 100% sure they put Matt Smith in a costume and put a, a, a wig on his head because Matt Smith has a pretty particular way of moving. And I am 100% certain that was Matt Smith in a wig walking away from us and not Terrence Stamp walking away from us. Um, they lied to us to make us believe that the old guy was Jack and not the vice cop. Um, if th there was one shot where he had this little tiny quirky smile and I'm like, that is 100% Matt Smith's little quirky smile. I feel like they lied to us to make us believe that he was Matt Smith's character. And whereas some of the, uh, like, as a, for instance, um, the, 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 the discovery that the, the landlady was Sandy, there was no lie there. When that reveal came out, you were like, okay. In fact, I had been suspicious early on that the landlady was Sandy. Uh, so when that reveal was like, okay, yep, that makes sense. I believe that, that, that tracks, but the reveal that the old guy was the vice cop and not Jack, I was like, you cheated, you lied, you lied to me. And I did not like it. I was mad at them about that one. So. See, yeah. I like the vice cop misdirect. I like it. Because mm -hmm. the trailer set you up that way. Like the trailer set you up that way. The movie set you up that way. So when that vice cop revealed, because there's nothing, you know, one, the trailer doesn't tell you this is a trafficking story, which I'm fine with that. Then so you're not going to know there's a vice cop. So when that dynamic is introduced, I, I like that misdirect. I like that it got me and that I bought it. Same thing. I didn't suspect uh, Diana Rigg as sandy i didn't su suspect that at all so i liked i was i was okay with both of those mm -hmm. and i and it and it wasn't until the movie tells you that she's sandy did i and i even then it's not until she physically said it did i figure it out because i missed the little statue and then the letters when she's going through the letters that say alexandra so i'm good with both of that both of those that's not my problem with the movie. <laughs> okay. Um, I did not mind that twist um, because I think there comes a point when, so like um, Ellie does have this supernatural ability, but she's also under a lot of fucking stress. So when it gets to the point of her like misidentifying Jack, I think that the movie is 100% within its rights to make her a slightly unreliable narrator. I fucking love me an unreliable narrator. I'm fine with it. Um, I don't feel like the movie lied to me. I feel like, I feel like she, we saw what she saw mm -hmm. and, uh, and that's what she saw because I think to a certain extent she wanted to um, because it fit the narrative that she was telling herself. And this actually comes into a broader theme of the story because um, when she meets Jocasta, um, there's so many little things that like tell you everything that's happening. Jocasta actually 
is like, like Jocasta does several things to start with. Jocasta brings out the importance of names and how when you're famous enough, you can go by only one name and everybody knows who you're talking about while also showing us the sort of like confusion about it and letting us know that Sandy wasn't a person who could only go by one name. Um, but also Jocasta introduces this idea of lying about your life to make it seem like something that it's not. And that is something that every character with the possible exception of John is doing in this movie, including Ellie. Yeah. She's lying to her grandmother through the whole movie. She's lying to her grandmother. She's also lying to herself to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. And so again, when we get the twist that Lindsay, the vice cop is not Jack, it doesn't bother me that okay. the movie may or may not, may not have lied because the movie told me that it was going to. Okay, fair, fair. My problem with the movie is that many of its ghost scenes end up being a lot bigger than I think they should be. So much of this movie is kind of a slow burn that it feels like the ghost scenes would serve the movie better if they were a low simmer instead of suddenly turning that flame up to high. Uh Um, For I think the two biggest examples of this are actually the scene where she's in the library doing the research and all the ghosts show up and she nearly stabs Jocasta in the fucking face with her scissors. I think that that really could have stood to be brought down a few levels because TBH Maybe, maybe I just don't know how things work in London, South London. Is it South London that they're in? North London. London. (laughs) Uh, Maybe I just don't know how things work in North London. I've never been there. Um, But I feel very strongly like she's fucking expelled. (laughs) Like there were many witnesses to that. And I don't think that you get to nearly stab very purposefully with intent, almost stab a girl in the face with that many witnesses and just go back to school. Um, And then also the ending scene gets so big, like, and like, I want to be clear. It's a very cool scene, but I feel like if they could have brought that back and then dealt with more of the emotion of the scene, they would have held the theme stronger. And instead a lot of the ending feels like, a really cool ending to a, a ghost story with the theme kind of thrown in as an afterthought. You know, you make a good point there because I actually got really confused where all the ghost hands were reaching up and grabbing her and stopping her and holding her. And then as she's reaching for the phone, one of them grabs the phone and hands it to her. I was like, what? I don't understand. Are they trying to stop her or are they trying to help her? What is, what is happening here? Well, okay, so my partner, I had the same trouble with that scene. And my partner actually kind of, (laughs) this is funny. uh, He mansplained it to me. Um, But basically, because I, okay, so there was, I I loved this movie. Like there were like part halfway through this movie, I was 100% on board. I was into it. I still had that kind of nervousness because I was like, they could still not stick this landing and Mm -hmm. they could not stick it really bad like if they don't nail this this is going to be like trauma interaction for years kind of like not sticking this landing um but so 
Yeah. In that scene, there was a moment where I absolutely actually wanted to walk out of the theater. Like had this not been something that I was watching for this, I think I would have left because when they started humanizing the amalgamin, um, I, I and and they and and they start going, help me, help us, save us. I was like, nope, I'm I, I am off this train. Fuck this, I'm out, I'm done. Um, but I didn't because I was watching it for this, and I suffer for our audience. <laughs> um, but what my partner pointed out was that even while trying, like, so this whole movie, we think that Sandy's the ghost, but she's not. It's the men that are the ghosts. S- ghosts and um so they're trying to get her help right but just like they did in life and just like so many fucking men do now they can't even ask for her help without getting in her way without like grabbing her and being like no this way you're doing it wrong there she's literally trying to go to the thing that they want her to do and they can't help but grab her and try to make her do it differently also they can't help fucking touching her like getting in her space and pulling her and like groping her oh my god so i like that i like that explanation how i another how i took that scene was it was all a manipulation that they're still they're manipulating her to do what they want that's why they're like help me help me and then when they said kill her and ellie's like no like it's to me i read manipulation that they're trying to manipulate ellie yeah there's that too that is how i read that um i'm okay with both the goat how the two larger ghost scenes the one in the library and then the final mainly because it kind of plays back into a line that Diana Riggs says older Sandy about ghosts being everywhere in London. Like this place is haunted, you know, London is haunted every, you know, every, every room, every something like, so I was okay with that. And also, I mean, honestly, you there, I mean, I, we were talking about it earlier. They're just kind of everywhere. I'm not I'm not upset about them being everywhere. Yeah. I like it's more the action in them. Like I okay. think that if they had turned down the action. Okay. Okay. I got what you're saying now. Like not even all of the scenes honestly. Really I think if they had just brought the action down a couple of levels, particularly on that library scene and on the ending scene, that it would have served the movie better. And the thing is is that if this were a less good movie in any other area i don't even know if i would have noticed this it's just like this movie is so like even the scissor scene where she almost stabs jocasta like i don't think that she gets to go back to school after that but i also like i don't really want to let that scene go necessarily (laughs) even though i think it doesn't really serve the movie i wish they'd done it in some other way because at the beginning when she's about to leave and her gran is like, there's bad people in London. Um, we, uh, she has the scissors that she's about to pack in her hand and like, is like, I can take them. I'm scrappy and goes at her grandma in a playful, but still kind of scary way. A significant thing happened right before the, the big ghost scene started, which is that Ellie 
it was it was the look in the mirror scene and ellie started pounding on the mirror and she managed to break through the mirror and grab sandy and it was right after that happened that the amalga ghosts became more real and the big ghosty seeds started happening in fact i was very afraid for ellie that she had actually managed to transport herself back into the 60s i thought in fact that what we were seeing was that ellie had switched places with sandy and that ellie was about to get raped i thought that's what we were about to see happening so, i mean the thing is is that i i think ellie was raped i think that she's literally experiencing the things that sadie sandy where <laughs> it was experiencing and um yeah you may be right um because like at every moment that we see her she's screaming like this is real mm -hmm. so i think that uh if if she if she wasn't like essentially raped she at least had to witness these mm -hmm. i agree with both those and i think some of my some of my answer will kind of tie into our poll question, but I think you are you are led to believe that the shots that you see Ellie dressed as Sandy, that they're merged. So she's experiencing everything that Sandy experienced. Like she is the physical and the emotional. And I think later on at the end, that's why, you know, she, you know, she she's Ellie and that she is very sympathetic to Diana Riggs Sandy, that she is, yeah. you know, she knows exactly what happened to her. And I think that starts uh, is it it's one of the first times she actually touches her like I, and it may have been when she's fixing the blanket on her feet, like because mm -hmm. she there's pretty early on when all of that starts, she touches she fixes a blanket to cover up Sandy's feet. And I think that's when she's really starting to interact with the past. Mm -hmm, I agree. When Because I, I think that happens after she breaks the mirror, right? No, that happens before she breaks the mirror. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she's doing a lot of... Uh, I think that the reason that this gets so bad is because she is breaking the veil. I can see that. To a certain extent, like, I don't get the impression that she did this with her mom as much. And also they lived out in the middle of nowhere. Right. So I don't think that she had encountered that many ghosts actually. Um, and I think that some of that was by design. Like, I don't think the movie ever clearly states this, but I feel like it's sort of implied that her mom had the same powers. Right. Um, Grand says that mom wasn't as sensitive, but so she had a lower level of it. So, so yeah, it's possible that they lived out in the middle of nowhere, like by design to stay away from the ghosts. Mm -hmm. So this is the most experience that she's had. And, uh, and, and she goes pretty hard, just like interacting. And I imagine that that's probably not a great idea based on what I've learned from horror movies. <laughs> <laughs> I do bringing up her mom. So I like from the very beginning of this film that the supernatural is natural in this world. Like she is just, it isn't, and you know, you are, you, it establishes very fast. Ellie sees her dead mother and that her mother has passed away and that 
good or bad. So I liked that that tone is set fairly early on. And I'm and I think that was just just a good call. For sure. I do find it interesting that how she sees her mother and how the amalgamin nightmare fuel look is wildly different. And I, I like that. Okay, so did you guys notice that the amalgamin actually, like the way that their faces are distorted, is that sort of like double vision that you get when you're looking past something that's too close to your face? Say perhaps a person who's on top of you while you're staring past their face at the ceiling? Uh, no, I didn't, but I am now. Uh, that's that's a really good description. I thought of it more along the lines of when faces just blended together, like you had just seen so many faces that you didn't notice individual details. See, that's how I went with it. But it is interesting that the faces did that. But when you see all the ghosts together from when she comes out of the bathroom, their genitals are not blurred. Like there's very distinct, like you, you could pick them out of a lineup. And it's like, so I thought, so now with both of your answers, it's like, oh no, that's interesting. I thought that they were just sort of generally blurred together too, until towards the end when I realized that it was that sort of double vision thing happening. And uh, man, like this movie is really fucking effective at that kind of stuff. That scene, that bedroom scene, like, okay, so one of the things that always makes me nervous about movies against the sexual violence that women kind of deal with all the time when directed by a man is the um, I spit on your grave problem where it becomes really hot. Um, You have your your rape victim and her clothes become strategically torn and she's very alluring in the rape scene. And uh, and this happens a lot, it, like in a lot of movies, in a lot of horror movies, in a lot of drama, in just a lot of movies, the, the, the rape gets so uh, sexy. And that's a fucking problem. Um, so I feel like this movie did such a good job of showing how scary it is like you know you've got two lead actresses that are both just fucking gorgeous and and you've got Anna Taylor Joy in various lingerie throughout this scene but they still don't like sexify it like you can still tell she's supposed to be sexy for her Johns right mm-hmm. but um oh my god John is named John Johns anyway <laughs> um so she's supposed to be sexy for them, but the scene isn't. The scene, no. to me at least, still rings as scary and so fucking upsetting. I should have, like, I meant to say this earlier on in the podcast, but like, man, if you're watching this movie, big trigger warning, because like, usually I can kind of tell like what kind of thing I'm going into on a movie. So like by, by the trailer, but the trailer really plays this this whole driving theme close to the chest it, it really does uh and i want to i i, I 
I get so upset at trailers that give the whole thing away and I'm going to go far afield with this. Like I, but I remember like Terminator two, I watch, like I try to think that scene in the hallway of Terminator two of how that scene would have played out differently. If you didn't know that Arnold was playing the good, the good Terminator, how different that scene would have felt. Um, but you knew from the trailer that Arnold was playing the good Terminator. So there was that suspense was lost. So, but with this the movie, the new pet cemetery movie, the, or yes, the new pet cemetery movie. If you didn't know that Ellie was the revenant, um, how different that scene when Gage went running for the road would have felt. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, but this trailer did not give away what this movie was about. And which which meant that I spent like the first half of the movie, I, I went and saw it with my friend Michael, and I spent the first half of the movie leaning over to Michael going, I don't think this is a horror movie, Michael. And he kept leaning back over to me going, I don't think it is either. And, and, and then finally, it started having some horror elements and we're like, okay, all right, all right. Okay, that was scary. Yeah, you know, so, but we, you know, it, it the, the trailer portrayed a, a, a different movie than the one we saw and i'm not mad about it because it did let me be surprised by a lot of things that that happened but whew, this movie was intense it was a lot more intense in a way that i wasn't expecting it to be uh-huh. yeah i think this film kind of going back to the scene that adrian was talking about this film does telling and not showing brilliantly do you mean the other way around? I know you're telling it, but you're not showing it. You're showing, not telling. Telling yeah. is when you're like, this happened. Showing is when you show the okay. horror of, yeah. Okay. I she was, trying was, to admit, I was, she trying, was scared as opposed yeah. to yeah. letting us feel. I was more just trying to think of like, you're not actually seeing the act. That's what I meant by sh- yeah. telling and not showing. That's I'm just using it so wrong. So <laughs> no, 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 you're fine. You're fine. Um, I, I, I think that that's, yeah. Like they show, you're saying that they show, they tell us what's happening without actually having to show us a rape scene. Yes. Yes. That is exactly, exactly what I'm saying. Which is side note, not to say that there's not a rape scene in this movie. <laughs> this movie is probably one long slow burn rape scene honestly mm-hmm. um but you know i've probably talked about my experience with the sixth sense on this podcast before um but just in case you're new or whatever i'll give you the really the really really short version which is just that because i was in vet school and i was not deeply immersed in pop culture um i missed all the hype for the sixth sense and i didn't even know there was a twist to the sixth sense which means that the twist took me completely by surprise and i loved it i was so thrilled when i got to the twist and was completely taken by surprise with it and so i kind of got to have that experience with this film as well except for Lindsay. i'm still a little annoyed about Lindsay, but whatever um but i kind of got that experience with this film too because with the sixth sense, I actually noticed all the clues. I noticed every one of them, including that when we first got the first shot of Bruce Willis after he was shot, I, I had my first thought was, isn't he dead? 
I thought he died. He sure looked like he died. And I noticed he's wearing all the same clothes. Did they not have a wardrobe budget? What the hell? And, you know, why is nobody talking to him? I noticed all these things, but I never put them together. And I cut. And with this film, like, for instance, when she said there's a French bistro next door, get used to the smell of garlic. I was like, French? Because sure, the French use garlic, but Italian. They're not Italian or anything. Yeah, the Italians are who use all the garlic. And so I, you know, I remember thinking, well, that's a weird comment. And, you know, that's that, so there was a lot of weird things that I remember going, that was a weird thing to say. Um, and then they all paid off. But during the, like, like I said, I, I thought, I wonder if that's Sandy. And, you know, noticing various, various things throughout the film, and then kind of going, that's weird, and putting it aside. And then, then when it all came together at the end, and going, oh, yeah, of course, that all, that all tracks, that all makes sense. So I really enjoyed that, the way it all came together and paid off. But, but John, <laughs> poor John, there had to be a point near the end, he was like, why did I ever talk to her? <laughs> Oh, oh, that's where John came in. The fact that she said I would have killed him if I could have caught him. That was a big clue right there. When when Sandy said I would have killed him. So we saw this twice. And so it was so much fun watching, listening to things Diana Riggs says and seeing how it pays off later. Like that was one of the comments and something else she says, like it was there were a couple moments that Billy and I were just like, like looking at each other like that and oh man um a couple things to bring up that aren't about the big themes but just a lot of fun uh fred and george are the coat check people in the mirrors the mirror scene with sandy and ellie at the very beginning that's fred and george weasley oh yeah and then the dance number between the three of them uh, Thomason, who played Ellie, uh, Thomason McKenzie, that's her full name, but who played Ellie, she is not a professional dancer where Anna Taylor Joy is. So she basically worked her ass off to match her movement so that it's very seamlessly. And uh, since we were talking, we've been talking about him, the young version of Lindsay is Finnick from The Hunger Games. Oh. That dancing. Oh, yeah. That, oh, that, that was a great dancing. I want to talk about Matt Smith for just a minute, though, if y'all don't mind, because I just I really like him. I have liked him since Doctor Who. And one of my favorite things about him, it's what I loved about him from Doctor Who, in fact, is because his face is really unique. You know, he's got a really unique facial structure with that big jaw. In fact, it's one of the things I mentioned to the friend I was watching it with was I mentioned that the guy playing the old guy did not have the jaw to be old Matt Smith. I was like, if I'm supposed to believe that's old Matt Smith, he does not have the jawline. And he was like, oh, no, he could, you know, older, blah, 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 blah. I was like, no, he doesn't. You know, old Matt Smith is still going to have a big jaw. But anyway, that's beside the point. But he's got the, just the way his face is made. He can go from just young and charming and boyish and cute to just creepy AF. And that paid off so well in this, in this film, because when you first meet him, he is full on just charming and sweet and playful. 
And when he went to threatening, mm, you know, he was, he was scary. He, he got scary fast. And um, I think it just paid off for him so well in this film. I really like Matt Smith. I do too. And I like, I like the unique ways he's showcasing himself after Doctor Who. And I think this is just a brilliant way. Um, I'm also kind of convinced Jack was already setting Sandy up to be trafficked. Uh, After the, it's during the dance number, he looks over at the first guy that approached Sandy and winks at him before he comes back up and the fight happens. And then later on, you see him at the club with Jack talking. So it's like, y'all, this isn't your first rodeo. Like, I did notice that. There's, it's a real subtle wink. And I didn't catch it the first time. But that second time, I was like, oh, oh, what are we doing? I yeah. did notice that. And I forgot it. Oh, oh, asshole. I sometimes wonder if I somehow got a different season of Doctor Who than everybody else did because I've I always felt like the 11th Doctor was pretty creepy and abusive actually um he fucking yells at Amy all the goddamn time you know we were re-watching Doctor Who with my daughter and um and we actually stopped on that season because she didn't like the way that he was yelling at Amy. She didn't like how mean he was to her. And it was making me uncomfortable to like watch it with her, which is not a dig at Matt Smith. I'm sure that they were doing exactly what they meant to be doing there. I mean, you've got the doctor coming off of Rose and, and all of that. Um, but this is not the Doctor Who podcast. <laughs> no, you're not wrong because that's gone to David, uh, Stephen, Stephen Moffat. And I am not actually a huge fan of Stephen Moffat. So he can fuck uh, off. Yeah, he can. So, um, but yeah, no, there's a, there's a couple of, of, of moments between um, the 11th Doctor and, and Amy Pond that you are absolutely not wrong. Um, but no, Matt Smith, I like Matt Smith as the Doctor. Uh, Stephen Moffat can die in a fire. So, yes, I said it. So. Yeah. So, like seeing Matt Smith be creepy was fine <laughs> like i was not surprised in the least that that he could do this um but holy god that dance scene was so good like I, like watching that scene it's one of those scenes that's so good it kind of takes you out of the movie a little bit because i was like are they really doing like is like, like at the moment i was like how is this happening is this a practical effect it's got to be a practical effect and, uh, and everything I'm reading says it was, and Kinsey says it was, and I'm going to trust her. My source was Billy because he read an interview with, I can't remember which one, if it was Thomason or Anya, but we were I, talking about it at the movie. I was only, I did a search for it, and I was only able to find the same article from the Hollywood Report called, or the same interview from the Hollywood Report called uh, Anya Taylor-Joy breaks down the dance scene, and she doesn't. Like, that's not what happens in the interview. Um, in fact, all she really says about it is that they were popping up and down. And uh, they, uh, at one point, had four people moving around because her, Thomason, Matt, the cameraman, and lights. 
So yeah. that's that's sort of what I'm going on to say that it was a practical effect. Could you imagine being poor Matt Smith there, though? Like, all he's got to do is just keep dancing and making sure he's just grabbing the right hand. I mean, like, everybody in that scene is doing so well to be able to, like, like, kudos to him to be able to. It's like Emma Thompson, Emma Watson um, in Beauty and the Beast. When you see the behind the scenes shots, she's acting against. um the hot guy yeah a guy on stilts with a tennis ball on his head yeah, yeah. it's ridiculous like it's it's completely ridiculous and she still has to like pull off all these emotions and whatever you feel about the beauty and the beast remake like some fucking respect to that um and that's essentially what matt smith has to like, like every now and then whenever i think about acting for a movie it's so hard to do anything believable because that like imagine having to do this dance scene and express some serious like heavy lust and intent the way that he is while there's just like two girls essentially playing pop goes the weasel around you with camera and lights trying to stay out of the way and never spilling his drink like and never it. spilling his drink and never <laughs> spilling his drink like that's impressive yeah like there's a there's a lot going on and it's all impressive yeah it's it's so good it's ah um god this movie's so good so i like also with this film the getting hit by a car gag pays off because we have it like three different times Mm -hmm. and it does pay off so i like i like that (laughs) There is nothing in this movie that doesn't pay off. Mm-hmm. Like it is, it's nothing is wasted. Um, you know, when, when she is so that Joe, like, like everything is used the, when she first meets Joe Costa and they have the conversation about names. Um, also, whenever we first meet Ellie, we see on her door that she's got Eloise, Ellie, L. Like she's still trying out her name. And then we see Sandy going through and being like, my name's Sandy, Lexi, Andy, um, Alexandra. Like she goes through so many different names the same way that Sandy does, the same way that Jocasta has. Like just every single thing that we see. She, when she says, you know where to find me, just over like that refrain. Um, Gosh, it's just, and the cabbie who's like, you might have got your first stalker. Um, I mean, like, nothing in this movie is wasted. This is like, I mean, like, it's. Uh, I'm just babbling now. No, it is- no, it's, 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 it is really good, and it's, it's very, it's unique in everything, and it's, mm-hmm. it's what you expect from Edgar Wright when you hear it as an Edgar Wright film. This is exactly what you're expecting. It's going to be something you hadn't seen before, and it's going to be done just brilliantly. Yeah, it's like the style is so fucking on point. Mm-hmm. Um, this is this this should be unrelated, and it's just kind of a funny coincidence. I watched a YouTube video. I can't give credit to who it was. I'm sorry, um, but it was basically talking about why. The Suicide Squad worked when Suicide Squad didn't. And one of the things that this really intelligent YouTuber mentioned 
were the needle drops and how in the first Suicide Squad, we had a lot of needle drops and songs that ultimately didn't really matter. Like the movie used them because like one line worked for a scene and then it did not fucking care about the rest of the song at all. Um, And in the suicide in, in James Gunn's The Suicide Squad, like the songs were important storytelling devices that many times were diegetic to the world and the scene. And so that's something that I was, I guess, primed to notice just because I'd literally watched this YouTube video the day before. Um, but like every song in this movie is so well chosen. Like I said earlier, downtown is the perfect theme for both Sandy and Ellie. Um, every song that they play feels so perfect for the scene. It is lyrically good. It is instrumentally perfect. Like just like this is like like when the Suicide Squad, not the Suicide, when Suicide Squad, the first one happened, it felt like a set of mostly unrelated music videos. And this movie could so easily feel like that too. But um, but it doesn't, it's so good. Like this movie almost feels like a musical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm I'm like getting into babbling land here. I'm so sorry. No, no, no. <laughs> This is a rare occurrence of our liking a movie and going long. <laughs> There's so much that like a lot of times we like a movie and we're like, this was a really good, solid movie. I have no complaints about this movie, but also, and this is not a dig at any of the movies that we have liked in the past at all, but this movie is doing something else. This movie is playing with metaphor and style in a very specific way that lends itself to a lot of discussion whereas a lot of other really good and totally valid movies are a lot more straightforward so we could just be like oh hey i really liked how this thing happened yep that was a good good thing that happened and this movie is more like they did this specific technique that i can point out and say something about this movie this movie is the type of movie, one, that the reason I like movies and one, the reason I like horror films is because it sticks with you. Like you can't, you're thinking about it and talking about it days after. Um, someone had asked me on Facebook about my favorite films this year. And this is one of them, as is Candyman. And uh, Billy and I were talking about it. He's like, oh, well, I thought that was kind of interesting because Halloween Kills came out. And I said, yeah, I like Halloween Kills, but it's not sticking with me the same way those two films do. And he goes, okay, okay. So I think I do agree that this is, it is saying something with a, with, but it's doing it in a very unique way. I think that comparing this movie to Halloween Kills is, uh, both fair and completely unfair because I think that Halloween kills wanted to be saying something and really fucking missed its mark. Mm-hmm. Like it, 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 it swung and was ambitious and it did not hit. Whereas this movie took the shot and fucking nailed it. Mm-hmm. Home run. Yeah. My, I only have one other last note. I love when she's looking through the microfish that it's talking about the missing men. And that you see that, like, so I thought that was fucking brilliant. Because uh, you're you're not, that first set, you're not really paying that much attention. But then that second time after talking with John and when she's stopping to be like, university professor, 
father of two, blah, 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 missing. And I was like, oh, I like what you're doing there. Well, and it's another example of her getting on the right track and the men fucking getting in her way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like she was onto something and they couldn't just let her figure it out. If they would have just stood back. She'd have got there. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is like, I think that if they had backed off at any point and let her have time to think about it, but every time she got close to anything, they jumped in (laughs) and like scared her. Okay. So I said I was, that was my last point. I have one other point. I one, I want to go to a Halloween party like the one she went to. And two, I love that all the mean girls were dressed as a fucking craft. Oh my God. It was so, yeah, I want it. <laughs> like their costumes were so good. And what's really interesting is like the girls in the craft were, in my opinion, pretty average, like goth girls. But somehow, as soon as I saw them at the party, I instantly fucking knew. I was like, oh, they're the craft. Like, like they're yeah. the girls from the craft. Like, and I don't, I am so impressed with costumes like that, that are just like, normal fucking people (laughs) but so immediately identifiable and i wish i knew how they did that because i don't understand like there's no part of it that i could point at and be like oh yeah that's the thing that gave it away it's just like i feel like i would have been able to pick them out even if they were on their own even if they hadn't been standing next to each other i feel like i would have been like oh you're bonnie you're rochelle obviously yeah that was yeah the halloween party so i loved it like it just made me happy and then their costumes so brave so brave so brave so brave (laughs) (laughs) i was really scared for a little oh so one of the ways that i was afraid this movie was going to go off the rails and a way that it kind of did and um maybe maybe made me feel more strongly about the ending scene not being as good as I wanted it to was um, pitting Sandy against um, Ellie at the end there. Um, Because this is something that happens. Like, first off, it's something that women are taught so often to like be competitive with each other. We see Mm -hmm. it in Jocasta immediately. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Especially when John starts to show interest in Ellie like, I don't even think Jocasta liked John, but that mm. didn't fucking matter to her. <laughs> like, like John didn't like her. So that was a problem. Um, well, like, and as soon as, uh, as soon as Ellie said, you know, uh, Jocasta said, my mom died when I was 15. Ellie said, my mom died when I was seven. Jocasta was like, oh, well, it's not like it's a competition. And then later on, Ellie said, my mom killed herself. And Jocasta was immediately like, oh, well, my uncle killed himself. So I know, I know. My great uncle. Yeah. My great uncle. And you're just like, what the hell? Jocasta. Ah. That that, that line, that sort of like false empathy really sets up later when, um, when Ellie says, I know what you went through. And Sandy's like, how could you? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I and see, I didn't take them fighting as much as just Ellie trying to survive and get away. Like, cause well, she's, and and she's going to the phone and the only phone she knows, and she's not 
the only time that she does anything is when she's grabbed like that's really other that she's retreating i this is one of the parts of the movie that i think would have been served better had they brought the action down and that is i feel like i think that a lot of times with ghost stories they're they always want to have this big haunting action set piece for the climax of the movie and it's gotten to the point where this is just sort of expected in haunting movies right and it kind of bums me out though because that sort of sets ghost stories up to always have a twist and always have a gotcha moment and um i just don't think that they all need that and in this case i think possibly a better way to end this movie would have been a much more low-key understanding between Sandy and Ellie. If, if, if instead of having a confrontation, they had a talk, I think that this movie could have been better. If Sandy had not tried to kill Ellie, the thing is, Ellie was all in on Sandy. Ellie mm-hmm. would never in a million years have betrayed Sandy's interest. If Ellie, if Sandy had not tried to kill Ellie, Ellie would never have betrayed Sandy ever. The problem was that Sandy did not. And it's fully in character to say at, at this point in Sandy's life, Sandy had no reason to trust anyone. You're right. Yeah. But if Sandy would have hesitated long enough to talk to Ellie, we could have had an entirely different ending. Yeah, but. there were there were some interactions between Sandy and Ellie that I would like to have seen gone differently. For instance, when Ellie did start single white femaling her, I think I would have liked a little bit more reaction on Sandy's part. Um, even just a line like, you look like the girls did when I was young or something like that. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like, like other people were commenting to ellie on how much she looked like sandy Mm -hmm. i wish that sandy had as well um but because i feel like a lot of the stuff here should have been building a little bit more of a rapport between the two of them that didn't quite happen Mm -hmm. um and i feel like that didn't quite happen in order to preserve the gotcha at the end and i think that they just could have pulled back from that a little bit Hmm. i feel like i had something else but i can't think of it now i'm trying to think like for instance if kinsey were to dye her hair blonde i'd 100 percent look like my mom i've i've got pic (laughs) no 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 i've got pictures of me in one of my friend's blonde wigs and i never thought i resembled my mom until i uh had those until i saw those pictures and i look exactly like her so side note (laughs) if you've ever seen my mother (laughs) that is what i would look like like as a blonde i have seen a couple pictures of your mom what i was what i was going for is if is if kinsey dyed her hair blonde i might i might say oh you and i have the same hair but i don't think i would ever say oh you look just like me it wasn't just the hair though the coat the coat the boots Mm -hmm. Like she got, it wasn't just the hair. It was an outfit. And the makeup too. Yeah. Because if Kinsey just dyed her hair blonde, whatever, she just dyed her hair blonde. But if Kinsey dyed her hair purple and started wearing cat ears and hoodies with cats on them, 
then I'd be like, yo, Kinsey, what the fuck? <laughs> I mean, maybe not exactly like that, but I would definitely be like, hey, so like, I think that everybody would comment on like, oh, you're changing up your style at least. And somebody at least would probably be thinking, why is she, why is she dressing like Adrian? I do miss my purple hair, but it's also a pain in the ass to take care of. So <laughs> what I'm using now is Overtone has purple for for browns so you don't have to do any bleaching and it doesn't look super purple except in like the right lighting but it definitely gets purple tinted and sponsored by overtone not really we're not sponsored (laughs) by anybody uh but and it um makes my hair feel softer and Uh doesn't like because i i've done a lot of damage to it recently so i'm just trying really hard to not to not hurt it more um but yeah so like like, I mean, there's definitely a difference, but like, if, if all she had done was change her hair, then like, sure. But she changed her hair and was wearing it in a style that was very anachronistic. Like people, girl, like women don't really do their hair like that. Uh-uh. Side note, I do wish the wigs were a little bit better in this movie. <laughs> like pretty styles and the blonde wigs were fine. But that brown wig... They had Ellie in at the end. Fuck that wig. Fuck that wig so much. It was not great. I almost never notice wigs. Almost never. People will be like, oh, that guy's toupee is so horrible. And I'm like, that was a toupee? I almost never do either. But I did here, mostly because of the parts and the hair. I did notice her hair didn't look great, but I didn't notice it was a wig. Um, You know, it was... Like I said, it was fine. For the blonde, I was like, whatever. They're like both going for a big style here. I'll let it pass. But um, there was one moment where I think Sandy got grabbed by the hair. And I thought, oh, no, is it going to come off? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Do we have anything else? I mean, so many more things, but I can't think of them all now. This was like. Like, I, I feel like dissertations should be written on this movie. I feel, oh no, this, I feel there will be. This will be, this will be something studied and talked about in film classes. And uh, hopefully it brings up larger conversations in general to those who see it. It's just, it's just a really good movie. It's just don't go in expecting a traditional horror movie. Um, I mean, I, I, I think... I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll give you that, that it's maybe not a traditional horror movie, but um, I think that it definitely is a horror movie. I agree. I, I think that this is just one of those more like everyday horrors. Um, and that's upsetting. <laughs> um, but um, ah, fuck, what was I going to say? I don't know. It's gone. There's just there are so many things in this movie, and I'm sure that. We're going to stop recording and I'm going to be like, oh, damn, I forgot to say that totally fucking brilliant thing that I had. Tweet it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Adrian, you have our quote then. You know where to find me. (laughs) And also you have our rule. Um, Just because someone makes tea doesn't mean it's tea time. Um, so for any, I think that we've actually talked about this tea thing on here before, um, because sexual violence is a shockingly common thing to have in horror movies. Um, but you know, consent as tea, unconscious people don't want tea, fighting people don't want tea, uh, get enthusiastic consent for, for tea. 
always get enthusiastic consent for tea. And just because somebody said they did want tea, they're allowed to change their mind and then not want tea. And particularly if somebody else told you that this person wants tea. Doesn't mean they want tea. Uh, But also, I don't think that mattered to most of the men here. But um, yeah, if you want to live through a horror movie, don't fucking rape people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Also, if you want to be a good person, don't fucking rape people. (laughs) That's just good life rule. And I mean, generally speaking, if a girl runs away after the suggestion that you spend some alone time with her, she doesn't want tea. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that the problem here is that they all know that and they don't care. Yeah. Yeah. So don't give her tea. You know, I think that like, God, oh, this movie. So like just the tragedy of losing what she wanted to give to the world. Mm -hmm. Like she was good. Like her singing was good. And it's, it's not anything that got to be known about she didn't get to share that with anybody yeah well and she she had this whole light that just got dimmed you know that whole you know she said he said something to her about how you know lots of girls come to the city expecting to be stars and they don't make it and she says that's not me you know she had this light she she was she was like this this she was going to be a star if she hadn't met him you just know she was going to be a star and he's he took her light from her. Um, that's that's the thing that I wanted to say. I remember now. Um, if I could do, if I could change one other thing about this movie, I would give at least one more dream sequence where we get to fall in love with Sandy. I wish we had one more where we got to fall in love with Sandy and Jack a little bit because, like, Jack was always a little bit sketchy, but I think that it was also easy to fall in love with him at the beginning, mm-hmm. and so just like. Bring that out a little bit more, in my opinion. Maybe make the audition, still do the audition as the second one, but then one more of maybe another type audition or something like that. Yeah, because we go straight from the audition, which is good, to the... um, Burlesque. Burlesque scene. I, I don't like... I. I mean, I guess it is technically burlesque, but like I hesitate to call it that because burlesque now is so much more about empowerment and consent. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, no, I agree. Burlesque now, definitely that burlesque yeah. in the sixties. Yeah, but yeah, I agree because because I think I. I'm sorry. Finish. No, I was going to say if we could have one more scene that starts good and then has like a dodgy moment, like like just some something that's off. Yeah, because the, I think the Sandy that we first meet is a strong enough person to have been like, no, fuck this. No. Yeah. So I would like to see what made her like what what got her to the point of being on that stage, because I love the the um, emotion flip on her because she had this light. You're right. And then we see her in this burlesque scene and she's fucking pissed. And yeah. I love it. Like, it's just radiating off of her. Like, yeah. And so I want to see, I want to, like, 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 just one sort of transition into that scene, I think would have been good. Yeah, she's not beat. She's mad. Now, I think that hallway sequence, which was an amazing sequence, I think that hallway sequence was supposed to be almost like a montage 
of of that time that she gets beaten down where, where you kind of see the sequence of time but i i don't think it quite worked uh as what it was supposed to be yeah i think it would work better if we had seen like i said if we had seen what made her stay what made her agree to do that cabaret mm-hmm. yeah Short version, I agree. I think we needed one more scene where we saw her falling for Jack, where we got to fall for her and we saw her fall for Jack. I think that would have made it, because it's, to take a step back, it's so easy to look and say, I don't understand why she's staying with him. It's so easy to be that person and say, I don't understand. I, I have been that person looking in. And, and looking at the relationship going, I don't understand. I don't understand yeah. why she's staying with him. And it would have been nice to be able to go, oh, well, yeah, okay. Yeah, exactly. Because, like, if we had one more thing where, like, we see him reassuring her or, like, convincing her that um, this isn't as bad as she, or something like that, you know, some, like you said, some reason for her to stay there because there is always a reason. Uh, I watched this movie last night uh the cleansing hour on shutter and sort of one of the things that's happening in this movie is you've got these two characters and one of them is kind of a d-bag and one of them is a total sweetheart and they're best friends and there's this whole sort of thing of like why the fuck are they even to like like why are they together at all and as the movie goes on you see you see like moments in their friendship and why they're still friends and you're like oh okay this relationship makes sense now. Um, and I just, yeah, this movie could have used a little bit more with Jack and Sandy. All right. Well then Donna, you have our poll. Our poll is what exactly was Ellie's power? Because originally they implied to us that it was seeing ghosts, but clearly it was a bit more than that. So what was her power? I think her power is just communicating with ghosts. Um, pretend like I'm just doing giant air quotes around everything that I'm about to say, <laughs> because I don't in real because life. You don't want to get dragged to Donna's science corner. Is that is that what's the fear here? Well, in real life, I don't believe in ghosts, <laughs> and, and so all the words that are about to come out of, out of my mouth, I am basing on what I consider to be a largely fictional history. But throughout time. We have seen mediums uh, conduct seances or, you know, the like. And um, when they communicate with ghosts, they aren't just speaking to them. A lot of times they talk about feeling what the ghost has felt or um, in the hauntings. A lot of times it's not just seeing visions, but experiencing these like like, like being there in the vision. Uh, and things like that. So I feel like her powers are really just pretty standard medium powers. And I liked, I agreed with Adrian's medium powers. I threw in a sprinkle of being uh, empathic because of just how she interacts. But I think this is more and just what the feelings that she gets. And with when it comes to ghosts, the norm, the, the known is there are ones that interact with you that are that, you know, and then there are ones that are imprinted, that energy is imprinted, and you're just kind of on a loop. Just you're seeing them over and over, whatever they did in life. And I think you had a little bit of that. You had both of those mixed. So, yeah, I like medium and I like uh, empathic. 
So that's my Jack is the lead ghost that's driving things. I can see that. And then the others are a lot just repeating the patterns. Yeah. Because Jack does alter the vision, essentially. Sorry. Jack shows what he wanted to what he was going to do. And then she and she even says she died up there. Mm hmm. I think well, I don't think she's seeing ghosts at all. I think she's picking up on strong emotions. I think she's picking up on strong emotional impressions because if she were picking up on ghosts, what she'd be picking up on is that the men died. She'd be she'd be seeing the men's deaths over and over and over again. And she's not seeing that. She is seeing Sandy's trauma over and over again. She's seeing Sandy's story. And in fact, she believes that Sandy died because Sandy believes that Sandy died. Um, she sees um, she sees Sandy's death. She does not see any of the men dying until Sandy tells her that the men died. Um, so I think she's picking up on Sandy's emotions in that that Sandy left in that room. Um, like I say, if she was picking up on, say, Matt Smith's Jack's um, ghost, she'd be seeing Matt Smith being murdered. But she's not seeing that. She's seeing Sandy's impression of what happened. And what Sandy's impression of what happened is that Sandy died. Um, I could see making an argument for that. Um, I, 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 I disagree slightly because one, the ghosts become visible to Sandy at the end. Um, and two, I think that the problem that's happening and the frustration that the men are having and why they keep trying to take control of her is that they're trying to tell her what happened but she's bringing her own baggage to this stuff that they're trying to tell her. You know, there's that scene in Chicago where um, the woman walks in on her husband sleeping with two other women. And he says, are you going to believe what you're seeing or what I'm telling you? And I feel like <laughs> I think about that scene a fucking lot, by the way. <laughs> um, but I feel like that's sort of what's happening here with the ghosts is the men are trying to tell her what happened, but because she knows what it's fucking like to be femme, to, 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 to look feminine and be femme presenting in this world, what they're trying to tell her is never going to feel true because it's fucking not. They try to paint themselves as the victims in the end when they're like, help us, save us, um, kill her. And, and they're just not the fucking victims. No. They, 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 they just are not. And she knows that. And so every attempt that they're make that they're doing to make themselves appear like the victims is always going to ring hollow. Also, and you can throw up air quotes around this too. Emotional trauma leaves an imprint if you're buying into that train of thought and everything that happened to Sandy in that room was traumatic. And so that's going to override things. And that's also going to hit Ellie, whatever her ability is. Can I just for a minute talk about one of my favorite lines in this movie? Of course. That I wish I'd mentioned whenever we were talking about the quote, but I couldn't remember exactly. And that is when, 
Um, Sandy says at the beginning, before we know she's Sandy, I couldn't get rid of the house. Too many memories. And the memories are the literal fucking bodies that she's buried in the house. (laughs) I just, I don't know. I just love that. (laughs) Like, no, you can't sell this house because an inspector would not, not notice this. There's another line she says about be quiet. You'll wake the rotting dead. And I also love that line too. Like I just love this idea of this tiny blonde girl going around and just being like, oh, yeah, I fucking murdered him. And everybody being like, oh, that's nice. (laughs) Because she never actually seems to lie about it. And in fact, I sort of get the impression that the vice cop that that Lindsay knew. I think so. I just don't think he could prove it. Because when he says talk to Alex, she knows what happened to Sandy. Mm-hmm. And talking about being buried, she buried Sandy with uh, those other poor souls or something like that. I don't know if he couldn't do anything about it or if he decided that it was fine. I'm, well, I should say, I don't know if he could prove it. I don't mean like, that's what I mean by not can do anything about it. Like, I think it was that. Uh, I bet he could have proved it. I bet, I, like, I think he could have. I think he didn't for whatever reason, but like, he certainly, I don't know. He didn't help her. No, no, no. <laughs> and and I don't know if he felt bad about that or something. And so he just let her murder men. Um, I don't know. He like he's a weird character. He is a weird character. Like I kind of almost wish that there'd been more on him, but at this point we're getting a very long movie. Mm-hmm. Agreed. All right. Do we have anything else before we close the book in last night in Soho? Yeah, I'm just gonna mention I, I really liked that Ellie ended up with the same scar that sandy had oh yeah she did on her hand oh i do have one more thing it kind of almost about that scar is i like at the end of the movie ellie has sandy confidence i wish that we had gotten that earlier i wish that she had gotten that sandy confidence at some point during the final scene instead of just showing us it in the very end well you know she lied to her grandmother throughout the movie and including the significant line about I'm scrappy, you know, and she did not show any of that scrappiness yeah. until, until the very end. And at the very end, she got scrappy. And it's almost like when Sandy cut her, she got that scrappiness. So, so. but hey, she got it finally. So, yeah, she I take it back. We did see the Sandy confidence a little bit right after she changed her hair and she got that coat. But then as soon as she was showing the Sandy confidence, she got even more attention from men. Yeah. Um, and so I thought that was a nice touch, too, because it was like suddenly she's dressing up. So like, oh, hey, baby, you dressing up for me? Fuck off. All right. Well, tweet at us. All of that good stuff. Anything you notice that we didn't talk about in this episode, we will definitely discuss it with you on Twitter at Beyond Cabin and on Instagram at Beyond Cabin as well. Then we have our Facebook page as well as our webpage, Beyond the Cabin in the Woods. You can find me at Twitter and Instagram at Callista77. I'm on Twitter and Instagram as at Dragon Goblin. There's no I and Goblin. I'm on Twitter as Junkyard Poet. And as always, thank you to our editor, Billy, for making us sound fantastic. We do appreciate it. And thank you guys for listening to us. Oh, wait, we have to talk about Wimbledon. Ha- happy. Oh, yes. Happy thoughts. It's fucking Halloween, you guys. <laughs> I had some candy corn. I love candy corn. I'm aware I may be only one of the only people on the planet who loves candy corn, but I do. 
Uh, you're not. Some of my uh, one of my other favorite new people love candy corn. So no, you are not alone, Donna. Okay, good. I also love those little pumpkins, the little the little Halloween pumpkins. I love those too. They're just bigger candy corn. To jump on your happy thought of uh, yeah, it's Halloween. That's my happy thought. So I know that I'm aware that a lot of my happy thoughts have been my kid lately, but whatever. Um, so yesterday was it yesterday? Maybe the day before we watched uh, Monster House with with her, and it's probably one of the scariest movies that we've ever watched with her. And uh, she really enjoyed it. I think it was the perfect scary level for her. And at the end, two of the characters kiss. And she stopped and she goes, what? You're in danger. Kiss later. <laughs> I appreciate her pri- priorities. She has, she's since like thought about all the movies that she's seen where people kiss while they're in danger. And she's very upset by it. She's like, people need to stop doing that. They can kiss all the time later but but they need to get out of danger first i mean she's not wrong it's a waste of time that you could be using to get out of danger (laughs) i am going to talk about this big goofy monster of a dog of mine because she's she's just she's beautiful and she's big and she's goofy and i don't think there is ever a moment that i don't have a healing scrape on my body from her and i just love her she makes me smile she's just (laughs) she's just adorable and cute and sweet and she cuddles up with me at night and she injures me regularly and i love her so her name is bunny you should post a picture i will i will post a picture to twitter and instagram of the bunny monster all right well happy halloween everybody and don't read the latin So brave. So So brave. brave. (laughs) You know what horror is. Gumby Cat Productions. Podcasts from podcast people.